solo and group clinicians alike are buzzing about Therapy Notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals. With live customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and an extensive feature library, Therapy Notes is sure to streamline your workflow, giving you time to care more and worry less. Try them for two months free using promo code MODERN today. Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Before we get into this episode today, we wanted to share that the content of this episode discusses working with clients who talk about school shootings. The case that is being discussed in this episode has given their permission to share this story with our audience. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Winhelm with Katie Renoy, and this is the podcast for therapists about the things that we go through in our profession, the reactions that we have to clients and the things that show up in our practices. And this one's a, maybe a little bit of a, a vulnerable episode for me because I had an incident that came up in my practice that didn't make the news. Now, generally, that would be considered a good thing, but this is really something where trying to help anybody else who might end up in these situations to be able to hopefully not have the same experience that I did. So we're recording this about, I don't know, five or six weeks after an incident that had come up with a client of mine. We're going to keep a lot of the details very, very big and distant and and appropriate for being able to share here and make this a little bit more about my experience through this. But we'll just say, what happens when you stop a school shooting? When I hear you ask that question, how do you stop a school shooting? I think of how hard it is to even imagine being in that space, even though I've worked in a lot of high acuity, a lot of teens, teens that were on probation, teens that were in very serious situations. And I know you can't share much, but I think my first question is, how did you get to that assessment? Let's just say you've got a, you've got a teen in crisis. Right. <laughs> and how did you... Well, first off, was this a teen that you expected it of? Like, was this somebody that you were constantly having to do harm to other assessments for? This was not somebody that I was expecting in this space. Okay. And it was surprising to me that it started off with a unplanned session. Mm-hmm. You know, a parent in the situation said, hey, can we get in today? Sure. There's been something that happened and we want to get in. So okay. it was originally something where I went through, based on the reaction, I'm doing a suicide assessment first. And sure. a lot of the markers were there and 
doing just good clinical work and talking through things, the severity as far as immediate crisis response for suicide diminished quite a bit just during our discussion. And just so folks know, we do have a whole couple of episodes on really good suicide assessment. We'll put a link to those in the show notes. We don't need to go into suicide assessment right. more than you want to right now. <laughs> right. Despite doing really good clinical work in that moment to take out the immediacy of the suicide assessment, I had asked if there was lingering feelings and wanting to act out against other people. And just as kind of a bridge towards, is there a threat to others piece here? And that became affirmative very quickly. Okay. So you had a suspicion. I'm not, you're not going to tell us why, but you mm -hmm. had a suspicion that there might be a desire to act out towards others. There was, there was a relational piece to what with a crisis was. And so you asked, is there some danger to others? You did yes. that assessment because that was present. How often do you think a secondary threat to others assessment is needed in a, you know, once you've completed the suicide assessment? I don't know. Out of all of the assessments, the risk assessments I've done throughout my career, there was just a, a piece of this that seems like that one was necessary. Now, you know, from the, the legal end of things, you should at least ask. Like, sure. I, I can say that rationally here outside of the immediacy of the situation. Everyone should ask all of the time. At worst, people are going to say no. I mean, or maybe mm -hmm. at best, at best, people are going to say no. no there's nothing, wrong. <laughs> nothing wrong with not wanting to hurt other people. But it's something where it, it's already just kind of a high alert response sort of situation. And particularly when it's not an expected thing. Mm -hmm. Those of you out there who work on crisis management, you know, pet teams, those kinds of response sorts of things, my hat is completely off to you. And knowing going into those situations that, all right, that's probably standard protocol for you, but I have a practice that's not that. I have a practice of yeah. well-to-do, high-achieving sorts of people that I'm not out responding in crisis situations a lot. So strong suicide assessment, it sounds like there was a bridge to harm to others assessment that you're saying is probably good practice, but the way you're talking about it, it was almost like there was some spidey sense tingling around something, something else is here mm -hmm. and I need to assess it. Probably good practice, just make sure you're asking the question, but I mean, you're not saying it, but I'll say it. I don't know that I always go there after I get through a suicide assessment and it feels like, okay, the immediacy is not there. And so I think this is a really good reminder for all of us that sometimes, especially in relational situations, but we're relational beings. If someone is, you know, needing an in-depth suicide assessment based on their level of suicidality, homicidality or harm to others is a natural leap and we should be assessing for it. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so back to your story. So the harm to others assessment became affirmative. Mm -hmm. Sounds like that would have been shocking to you based on, on just the little bit that you've said about this is not someone that this was the space that, that you expected them to be in. How did you feel? How did you kind of, what were you processing in that moment when there was an affirmative assessment of harm to others? It was, in the moment, 
just keep the client talking. Just like I went with, there seems to be productive space here. There seems to be productive space to validate feelings. And the more that is able to be expressed, the more that we can get through the immediacy of the feelings to then be able to kind of make a rational, all right, we're through things. We're not in big emotional mind anymore. We can kind of let the pieces fall where they may once we're through the the big feelings driving these desires. So initially, my thoughts were, okay, this is happening. I'm going to just continue to facilitate feelings here. I'm going to help this kid just talk. So was the the goal processing to try to decrease the the dysregulation? Was it trying to get to a certain point or just being in space? It was just to be able to get through the dysregulation for the, the client to feel like there's somebody that understood that this wasn't just kind of you know, fighting an emotional response with somebody else, but just being able to have somebody in their space that felt like somebody on their side. When I've been in crisis situations, my internal feeling becomes excruciatingly mindful, very present to the present moment. There is nothing else that exists in the world, and I'm just being in space, and I'm I have a goal. <laughs> the goal is to be able to finish the session eventually or or the conversation eventually and have everybody safe, but but it becomes very, very still. That's kind of what I'm picturing. It's am I am I close? Yeah, you you're describing it very well. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So so when you're when you're talking, you're very present. There's a harm to others flavor to it. There's a concern. When did you become concerned that this could be a school shooting? Like how quickly in that assessment was where you're like, oh my gosh, this could be a school shooting. It was pretty quick. Once once the client started talking and I just kind of went with, okay, what, what are you thinking next? How, how do you see that working out? What do you think? Mm -hmm. You know, what would you do with this? And, it just unfolded. There was not a lot of needing to pry things out. And I think it was just because I was able to establish a lot of trust in in the process up to that point that was, okay, here's, here's what I'm going to do, just kind of naturally came out at that moment. Notes not only combines billing, scheduling, and notes into one easy-to-use software, they now also offer group telehealth up to 15 clients in a group session at a time, and secure messaging features. And with their 24-7 customer service, they're ready to assist you no matter where your practice takes you. Therapy Notes allows you to do it all. Whether you're a solo clinician or part of a group practice, you'll have all the tools for success at your fingertips with Therapy Notes. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. So I don't know the story, so I can't share information. So I'm going to kind of go based on my guesses on what happened as far as all of this is that you would have to do the same thing you would do in any other harm to others assessment, means, access, you know, all of those different things. 
And my assumption, since you have framed it as stopping a school shooting, is that there was an access to a gun of some sort or, or a number of guns. You don't have to affirm any of this. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and so it became about some practicalities of how do you actually create safety here in a way that makes sense. And we have an episode on defensive practices that speaks about what you may want to not do <laughs> that we'll also link into the show notes. But but I think to me, I, I, I get to this place of, I can see folks immediately jumping to hospitalization. I can see folks immediately jumping to, you know, I've even heard people like, give me the weapon. Like there's different things where people go really astray here. And so whether you want to talk specifically or broadly about getting to the practicalities of it, that would be, I think, helpful for our audience, especially folks that have not been, that are not as versed in risk and crisis as we are. And certainly we, we aren't even as good as all those risk assessment folks that you're talking about that do this on a daily basis. So you're in space, things are unfolding. How do you get to the practicalities of safety? So the access to a weapon was not 0%. Yeah. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. So it wasn't something that was immediately available, but it was not 0%. And just kind of getting through that space, one of the fortunate things of this particular situation is that I wrote down my feelings a couple of days after this happened, just to kind of process where I was at and kind of going through some of, of these notes. It's just like, everybody did their job. Like mm -hmm. the, the kid talked, the kid allowed the parents to come in and out of the sessions and the parents did their jobs in responding and in a really good way for for the particular moments that things were in and so it wasn't you know just like all right who who do we pass this off to in the immediacy to like intervene and in fact this is part of what ended up being so frustrating for me is that everybody did their job mm -hmm. we were able to calm things down and in california this is still a tarasov situation this is still a reasonably identifiable victim or victims. And even though things in the moment are calmed down, there's still a responsibility to warn and protect in this situation. And so this is the part that just is so, I don't know, it's, it's such a, a, an isolated, unique feeling that, all right, I've calmed everything down. Now I need to break the news to you that even though the immediacy of the threat is gone, we still have to get law enforcement involved. Yeah. And just for folks not in California, Tarasov is our duty to warn. And so then there's just kind of the very understandable, like anger response from people in the room. That's just like, absolutely. We, we got through this. We, we did what we were supposed to do. And now we need to go and talk with law enforcement about this. And yeah, and just dealing with a lot of, you know, anger, being blamed in that situation, that there's that immediate trust that was just established that, you know, just kind of, you know, ended up going away. And I feel very fortunate that everybody continued to do their job after that. Like the family cooperated, the 
LAPD and all of their you know, wonderful responses to things in the past, my understanding is that it was the right kind of touch from them in that situation and being able to talk with the family afterwards. So there's just a lot that even though all of the right steps were done, it just was like, okay, we're, we're, we're doing our jobs here. We're taking this, you know, we're, we don't need to make this bigger than what it is. And now we've still got this responsibility here. The responsibility with the duty to warn feels familiar to me in, in some of the interactions I've had around needing to do child abuse reporting with adult clients so that they they come clean, they start talking about stuff, they kind of commit to do better, but there has been child abuse that I have to report. And it it just is like, okay, we've come to this 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 trust, we've come to this place of connection. And it's a deeper connection because things are out in the open. There's been really deep conversations. It's been a crisis conversation. And then the therapist hat shifts to almost like the administrator hat of like, and these are my responsibilities. And now I can't consider you almost in what I have to do next, what my responsibilities are next. And there's huge repairs that potentially need to happen, but it's such, it feels like such a breach, I think, for the clients. And so to me, I just, I, I'm thinking in this moment, session out of nowhere, deep connection, huge focus, big risk. There's this reaction of, whew, I've calmed it down. The relationship is there. And now I've got to be an asshole. Mm -hmm. And how isolating that is because you can't even really talk to anybody about it. Right. Whew, that's hard. Just... Going through my notes on this, my next session after that was pretending that the floor was lava. <laughs> With a client, you had the floor was like the next client that came in, you played yeah. the floor was lava. <laughs> I, I would love to say, you know, it was like a 40 year old like business executive. No, it was just like having to switch gears to like, yeah. here's, here's the next space. Just going through some of my notes on this, like, all right, so next session, I'm in the play therapy room. I pretend that the floor is lava. Pretend that the floor isn't lava. I'm doing my job. Mm -hmm. I consult. I'm told that I did the right thing. The news doesn't report on what didn't happen. Family messages me. Kid isn't coming to the next day's session. In the two days afterwards, there's three more school shootings. The news that didn't happen because of my session would have been not even in the top three school shootings of the week. Wow. I'm assured that the kid is getting further treatment by the family. And I shared in consultation, I shared in, you know, with people like Katie, people on my team. Just, hey, this happened. A lot of people did a really good job of asking how I was doing. And I was fine. But it wasn't the question that I needed to be asked. And that's really kind of what I want this episode to be, is having that response plan for yourself. Yeah. And 
or, or your team or the environment for when these situations happen. Because if you're a mental health provider and you're listening to this and you know that a colleague is going through something, we're very good at trying to get people to talk about how they're doing. And in kind of that critical sort of period immediately afterwards, I was fine. There was a plan for me to follow. That's why duty to warn exists. Yeah. It didn't make anything that much harder to go and do my next sessions. But there was just kind of this looming feeling that I needed to be asked, what are you going through? And I I think that that's a, a very substantially different question than just yeah. how are you doing? I think it is. I think it is. I hadn't really thought about that in that way. I mean, to me, how are you doing is, I mean, it's a, a good question to ask, but it's also, we typically, you know, how are you? Fine. Like we don't as a society honestly answer that question. And I think to me, from the outside as a colleague, I see you as someone who deals with risk and assessment and, and all of these things pretty commonly. And I think you're also someone who you can share your emotions. I've seen it. And, you know, I, I think that that's not abnormal, but you also are like many therapists, but certainly like probably like me as well, you overperform. And so I didn't realize. I said, how are you doing? Expecting an, ans a, a, an honest answer, but I didn't dig deeper because I didn't see anything of note. And I didn't realize you were going through it. And I think asking the other question, asking what are you going through? What was that like for you? How are you taking that in? You know, using therapist skills right. <laughs> would have been helpful because I, I just, you know, it was one of those things we get into the day-to-day -day grind and I just, I didn't see any of that. And I think that's the biggest issue, isn't it? Is that we don't, as therapists, we can put on our blank slate, even though we don't like it, we can put it on pretty easily. We can function and compartmentalize emotional content because we do it all the time. And so I didn't ask the question because I didn't realize I needed to, but it, thinking about it now, of course I needed to. And that's really the, you know, as much as, as much as I put in place from my understanding of things, a trauma-informed workplace, that any of us are prone to these kinds of things. And mm -hmm. having something to follow as a team, as a practice, even as an individual that is in place for you when you go through these things, that makes it to where you acknowledge that trauma can happen. You acknowledge that this is not something that was planned for the day. This is not something that most people deal with in a normal situation and that there is going to need to be something in place to take that into account before it even happens. Thryzer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thryzer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate up front. From the client's perspective, Thryzer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thryzer manages the claims end-to-end -end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thryzer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thryzer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. 
They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. I wish we didn't have to take that into account, though. But the fact that that I mean, that just hit me so hard when you said that there was three more school shootings within the next week, within the next two days. Oh, my God. Yeah. So unfortunately, this is going to be relevant to more therapists than we want it to be. Right. And and the situation that I was working on didn't even happen. And so, you know, as we deal with just gun violence and stuff as a profession, there's even outside of the immediacy of the aftermath of these situations, it doesn't change what ends up happening to those who who do our job. Like, yeah. I get a gold star for doing my job that something didn't happen. And here's really a big piece of it is the absolute lack of feeling like anything was resolved. Mm-hmm. In in this situation, you know, the client left my office. I got a couple of messages from parents afterwards, updating me on placement and that kind of stuff afterwards. And it's still just like the work that we had been doing and you know i work very personally with a lot of the the clients that i have but the work that ended up happening afterwards it just feels like it was there and then it's unresolved and it's gone and so there's not even processing back with the clients that hey here's what happened to us in this situation there's no like oh we got through this and things turned out positively yeah I think it would be very, very hard for me to to sit with that. How are you sitting with that, with the lack of resolution? It was really hard for like the first week or so. And it's still hard. Like I said, this is, again, date of recording is well over a month after this happened. And air date is going to be several months after that. So we're... Putting this out a little bit distantly from the event just to editorially give ourselves some opportunities with this. But yeah, I mean, it still brings up a lot of feelings for me just going back and even looking through my my personal notes about this situation. Like there's a lot of still just kind of anger about the situation. Like I know that this law and this protocol is put in place for protection. And being on the other side of things ends up making it feel like, okay, the the system in this case worked. And somebody who, in in a very emotional space in their life, had some feelings, made some communications that still ended up drastically altering their life based on who they were talking to and allowing the system to catch them where they were at. And it's something where, you know, if I, you know, put this in, you know, all right, I'm going to go and teach law and ethics students about, you know, duty to warn and duty to protect sort of things. Being removed from those situations, all of that is really, you know, yes, those things should be put in place. When you know the people intimately, 
yeah. and and you're the one responsible for it. That is a feeling that as I'm sitting here, it's just like I feel so compassionate for where this particular kid was and theoretically where they still are as I'm talking about it ends up just kind of making it so surreal. Like I can go and talk about, you know, court cases that happened 50 years ago that led to this protocol being in place. And it's just kind of like, yes, that is what happened. But to have it really in front of you, and especially the first time, like I, I hope that nobody gets really good at this feeling. it's something that just is oh i don't know who else to really connect of like oh you've also gone through this experience yeah yeah i i mean i asked this before we recorded and i think the 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 question i have that i think is important to kind of touch base on a little bit is i've made calls on my clients around child abuse, like I mentioned earlier, and it has drastically changed their lives and it even, you know, all of the pieces, but the way you're describing it feels different. And so can you quantify kind of the difference of reporting child abuse on a family versus stopping a school shooting? You know, the part that I haven't talked about is calling the school, mm. you know, the, the duty to, to warn, to warn the identified. Yeah. Victim. Hey, I'm a mandated reporter. This is not what a school is used to hearing maybe about child abuse sorts of things. This isn't that. Yeah. That this threat was made. I mean, it, I, I'm just kind of throwing my hands up here. I know nobody can see this, but it was just kind of like, there is what I wrote down to just be like, hey, school, here is the information that I am telling you. I know, you know, that the kid isn't supposed to be going to school today based on what parents had told me. But just so you know, good luck with how you communicate that to your staff. Um, and I'm resource by. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Just, so it's, that's a, that's a hard call to make. And, and just, you know, I've supervised people before who've had to make, you know, Tarasov calls to like law enforcement where they've had to like teach law enforcement, like, all right, here's what your job is in this situation where you're supposed to intervene. But it's that call to the intended victim or victims that's just like, you don't know me. I know this is a shocking phone call. There's probably feelings that you're supposed to have. I'm not your therapist, but I also don't want to leave a lot of loose feelings on this. Yeah. It was definitely a call that, you know, I did let them know that law enforcement had already been told that there had been a intervention that ended up happening. And, you know, so there was just kind of like, all right, I'm ruining somebody else's day because you start off a school day getting a call and like, mm-hmm. okay, this is sitting in the background and now somebody else is just on edge. Yeah. At the time of recording, I'm still working through what my practice's protocol is going to be on this, because it's not just me who works on my team, but by the air date of this episode, there's going to be something as far as a policy in place for my practice that is um, something I'm happy to share. Like, I don't want anybody else to go through this, and I'm consulting with some people to have what is best practices when it comes to kind of these 
incidents and being able to have kind of some internal structures to do this. So we'll be happy to share that in our show notes over at mtsgpodcast.com. And really just if you are somebody who's going through this, hey, thank you, first of all, for doing your job, but also just really being compassionate to yourself and knowing like, oh, even though I might be fine, there's just something that I need to talk about in a way that isn't just business as usual. We've all had tough sessions. We've all, you know, done our best to turn around and go show up for the next client. But there really is something deeper than, hey, I'm having a reaction to this. It's being able to process that on a deeper level. So take care of yourselves and hopefully have something in place before you need it. So my takeaways are... Make sure that you're really versed in risk assessment, what your responsibilities are, and all of that, because you might be able to do the same thing and stop a school shooting. And and there may be a whole other a whole other episode that we can do on duty to warn, risk to others, or harm to others assessments, because I think there's some of this stuff in here that I wasn't totally familiar with. So I we may want to do another episode on that. But additionally. It's recognizing the impact on yourself and how you can get support. And you're talking about like, you're going to put policies in place. I could also see kind of questions to ask or, or things that could be kind of what, what do you need to be processing through? And so, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll have that ready before we put this out and we can put that into our show notes or on our website or whatever, so that you can grab those things and, and have some trauma-informed processing for something like this. So once again, our show notes over at mtsgpodcast.com. Follow us on our social media. Join our Facebook group, The Modern Therapist Group, to continue the conversation about this kind of stuff and about our episodes. And until next time, I'm Kurt Whithelm with Katie Renoy. Thanks to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, use promo code MODERN for two free months. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. 